part of the fate of JCPenney has to do with how inevitable is their trajectory? Can they really recover from the downfall of the department store? I'm Daphne Howland. And I'm Danny James, and we're reporters at Retail Dive. This is our podcast where we look into the biggest retail trends shaping the industry. We talk about what traditional retailers are up to, what's happening in the DTC space, and everything in between. Plus, we'll be talking to some industry experts along the way. This is The Backroom. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Backroom. I'm Danny, and I'm going to be speaking with Daphne today about a recent piece she reported out all about JCPenney's finances and how they've been performing. The interesting thing about this one is, to refresh some people's memory, JCPenney was actually acquired and made a private company in late 2020, so kind of early on in the COVID-19 pandemic. And since then, they haven't really technically had to report their earnings, or any of those typical metrics out since they're private. But Daphne uh, was sleuthing around and was able to, to get a better idea of it. So Daphne, I think a good place to begin is just by asking you how you were able to find some of these metrics that we, we typically aren't able to get with private companies. So this was actually really fun. Um, just to back up a little bit, JCPenney was acquired, as you said, in late 2020 by two of its landlords, Brookfield and Simon Property Group. And since then, during Simon's earnings calls, analysts were sort of pushing him to reveal a little bit more information about how his retail holdings were doing, including JCPenney. Simon also has interest in other retailers like Forever 21 and Brooks Brothers and Lucky and all bought out of bankruptcy. In those cases, it's a tie-up with Authentic Brands Group. With JCPenney, it was a different kind of acquisition, and it's Simon's partner, and that acquisition was Brookfield. I think it's safe to say he sort of got a little bit more forthcoming with every call. And then in February, when he was outlining, you know, just fourth quarter, full year, 2022 earnings, he sort of let it drop that JCPenney was really profitable as far as EBITDA and that there were public filings out there. That basically sent me to Google. I just started Googling, Googling, Googling every JCPenney financial term that I could think of until I found documents filed by Copper Property CTL pass-through trust. Now, it took me a while to really find out what that trust is and what it does. But one of the first documents I found was nine months worth of JCPenney full financials. I mean, the operating company, all the things that you would ever want to know about any retailer and their results, everything but comps. It had net sales, it had EBITDA, it had net income, it had, you know, SG&A, it had everything, which I have to say was really exciting. And at first I didn't even believe it because it was just so complete. 
from there, I basically decided and our team decided to report on JCPenney's financials the way we used to when they were a public company. And how would you describe the state of their financials, you know, at least for those nine months or so that they're filings for? What type of metrics are we looking at and how are they doing? So certainly he's right that their EBITDA is profitable. So EBITDA is net income, but you add back in certain things that take away from your profits, like taxes and interest expense and depreciation, depreciation, amortization. So it really helps that profit number. You can have a net loss in a quarter, but your EBITDA might be positive. So he was right. If your contention is that this company is doing well and it's otherwise maybe not doing that well, the EBITDA is a good one to call out. And certainly it is one of the best numbers in the JCPenney financial picture, but their net sales are tumbling. They're operating at a loss. And even their EBITDA, which, like I said, is their best number, is declining. So it's not, I don't, I I think, you know, it's just not the picture. The full picture is not quite as flattering to JCPenney as just looking at EBITDA, put it that way. Right. I think in the reporting, you had mentioned that sales have stayed relatively steady the past couple of years or few years, but profits have been declining. It's just not as pretty of a picture as maybe some people thought. And really, even then, it would be good to know. I talked to one source who is doing research on many of the JCPenney stores, and they found that within the, those brick-and-mortar stores, sales are down 25 to 30%. JCPenney says that that's not true. Um, although when I spoke to JCPenney, they also they told me all of my numbers were false. And I went back to them and told them, you know, these are public filings. These are filings that have been filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission. So they're available to anyone for anyone to see. As David Simon himself said, there are public filings out there. They're delayed. The latest information we have is for the first nine months of 2022. Most retailers by now have given the full picture of the entire fiscal year or the entire calendar year of 2022 and their fourth quarter of 2022. So it'll be interesting to see if the fourth quarter is reported by this trust. And just to back up for a second, this pass-through trust is responsible for selling about 160 JCPenney stores. They run, I want to say about 700 or so. So it's a just part of the fleet, their explanation for providing the JCPenney retail results is that it's something that matters to their investors. Anyone investing in this trust, which is separate from Simon Property Group, it's its own entity. Anyone investing in this trust is investing in the, you know, eventually the proceeds that will come from selling this property. And with the property come really long-term leases. So it's it behooves anyone who's either going to be buying the property or investing in, you know, the prospect of the property being sold to know 
how this retailer is doing, you know, is this retailer basically going to be able to continue paying its rent? So I'm not sure. I'm guessing that this property trust will be filing the fourth quarter results and perhaps the full year, but I don't know. It's not like a publicly held retailer that must. I don't know if they must or not, but if they are going to be filing, I'm going to guess it's going to be sometime in April. So we'll just have to keep watch and see. And you know, I think JCPenney, kind of a classic mall department store, right? So I'm curious your take on, you know, you're kind of on the mall beat. So I'm wondering, how do you feel about their performance compared to some other competitors in the field? You know, the decline of mall traffic in general, has that had an impact? What's some of the reporting you've looked at in the greater scheme of malls? So this is a great question. The original idea behind malls were to have two, maybe three, maybe even four department store anchors. The idea was because department stores were so popular when malls were new, say in the 50s, 60s, even the 70s, people still really went to department stores. That's where they shopped for apparel. If you went back to school shopping, you probably went to a department store. If you shopped for Christmas, you probably went to a department store. The holidays, any events, weddings, that really changed in the 80s and 90s. And now department stores are not the destination. The idea back then was that department stores had so much traffic that they brought the people and then the people would wander down the aisles and maybe shop at some of the other smaller stores, the specialty stores. Even if you didn't make a whole lot of sales per person, there were so many people going to department stores and therefore so many people going to malls that the sales you did make were a lot. The department stores are no longer magnets like that for traffic. They're now in the other kind of spiral. Before it was a positive spiral, tons of people going to department stores, therefore tons of people going to malls. Now it's not enough people going to department stores, not enough people going to malls. Department stores are leaving malls and they're huge. The other thing about a department store closing for whatever reason is that the leases of those smaller stores, the William Sonomas, the Apple Store, the American Eagle, the Victoria's Secret, their leases often have clauses that say if the if an anchor closes, we get to renegotiate our lease. To the point where they might even say, well, not only do we need to get, renegotiate it, but we want to, you know, leave. We don't want to be in a mall with an empty anchor. So we're exercising this clause and we're, we're getting out of here. And for a mall company like Simon or Brookfield, that's obviously terrible. And a lot of people I've spoken to believe that Simon and Brookfield really wanted to buy JCPenney in order to keep those stores operating in their malls and to prevent that situation where you're not just losing, say, JCPenney, you're losing perhaps a bunch of other tenants because they're going to leave right behind JCPenney. So there's an incentive for any mall to make sure that the anchor sticks around. Simon Property Group and Brookfield own JCPenney, right? I mean, that is kind of an interesting setup that the owner of the building in which the store would be also owns the store and the brand. I think that's a little bit of a unique setup 
It's very interesting. And by the way, when I saw all these filings, when JCPenney, they were in bankruptcy, Simon and Brookfield were able to buy JCPenney for, you know, it was like a fire sale very cheaply. It was a 50-50 acquisition. But since then, Authentic Brands Group, which is a partner with Simon in other ownership ventures, as I mentioned before, took about 16% of JCPenney. So now Authentic Brands Group also has an ownership stake. I think that's why you're seeing some Authentic Brands Group activity in JCPenney. There's Forever 21 concessions happening there. There was a, a special collection based on Marilyn Monroe and Authentic Brands Group owns that brand. I think you'll probably see more of those kinds of creative partnerships with Authentic Brands Group brands and the Simon Malls and JCPenney. Gotcha. Similar to the Authentic Brands Group, you know, creative collaborations with JCPenney, it seems like, I mean, can you speak a little bit more to how JCPenney has been trying to stay competitive and innovate their store structure and just offerings? I feel as though they've been doing quite a bit and bringing more brands and options into the stores. I have to say, so I spoke with Neil Saunders, who didn't have a lot of positive things to say about a lot of the JCPenney stores. And as I said, I spoke with one source who is finding some sales plummeting in a lot of their locations. I went to the location here in Portland, Maine, and I have to say, it definitely felt like a discount department store, perhaps more than it had in the past, but it was really well staffed. Everyone was extremely helpful. Some of the changes JCPenney has been forced into, Sephora, as you know, left that partnership and tied up with Kohl's instead. JCPenney always had said that their Sephora concessions, which were sort of a space in the middle of the store, were doing really well and bringing traffic to JCPenney, just like Kohl's is saying now. JCPenney has now what they call JCPenney Beauty. And so they've basically turned it into their own branded beauty concession. And it's it's really well done. I, I have to say it's it's well stocked. It's well done. They have some really nice brands in there. They have Fluid. I don't know if you are familiar with that gender-free brand. They have a whole Fluid fragrance display. It, it was an interesting space. It wasn't being shopped when I was there, but it was definitely an enticing, well-put-together beauty space. Doesn't JCPenney have a partnership with 13 Loon? And in fact, I think the young woman who was running the space mentioned that. So I think that probably has a lot to do with how well it's done. For listeners' context, 13 Loon is kind of a beauty marketplace uh, they also have their own store now that, you know, stocks more inclusive beauty brands, um, especially when it comes to skin tone. And I think they also have some of their own products. So I think they have a bit of a shop and shop situation going on with JCPenney, similar to the Sephora situation. There was a 13 Loon section and it was noticeably tilted toward sustainable and inclusive brands. I, I would say that that's fair to say. Like I said, it didn't have a ton of traffic while I was there, but it ticked all the boxes that you'd want to see in a well-designed, well-merchandised beauty space. 
part of the fate of JCPenney has to do with how inevitable is their trajectory? Can they really recover from the downfall of the department store? They cater to the middle class. And right now, the middle class doesn't have a lot of extra money to spend. Malls are not really a destination. Department stores are not really a destination. And certain department stores are not really a destination. And I think JCPenney has a lot working against it from those perspectives. And the financials, you know, going back to what we found, tell that story. Things continue to go downhill. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the next couple of years when inflation becomes less of a story. If we get through the other side of a recession, if one happens, will JCPenney be able to take full advantage of a healthier economy and perform? It's just an open question. It's just really an unknown. Is JCPenney able to bring the kind of attention that it needs to to each of its stores and in each of its malls? The mall that I was in in Portland is a Brookfield mall. I don't know if those stores get more attention than ones at other malls. I I just don't know. Part of it is time and just all these other forces working against it. I feel like a department store that has done kind of well, at least in comparison to some other competitors, is Dillard's, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes, Dillard's continues to defy expectations. The worst I've heard about Dillard's is that they need to update their stores, maybe some of their merchandising, but that they are really paying attention to some really important retail merchandising fundamentals. And they have loyalists. The loyalists might be on the older side. We're talking about a retail model that is from, you know, had probably its heyday in the early part of the 20th century, and then maybe another heyday when the suburban mall was born. The heyday days are behind it. Dillard's is probably one of those department stores that if there's any chance for the department store model to have another run of success, they would be one of the ones that to pull that off. And, you know, Macy's is still a huge company with some very successful stores and creative thinkers and merchandisers in a lot of their stores. So the department store has not gone away, but its best days are behind it for sure. Well, on that note, I think, Daphne, it's safe to say you'll keep looking into this and and we'll see if any more public filings come out. And if they do, you'll be one of the first to report it, I'm sure. I definitely have my eye out. This episode of The Backroom was produced and edited by Caroline Jansen. Please be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.